You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. Folks, recently I had the incredible privilege of sitting down with Ruth Haley Barden, the author of, among other books, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. She reached out to see if I'd be interested in having an ongoing conversation about the integration of systems theory and soul health on her podcast of the same name, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And uh, having recorded it, we thought it'd be really great just to put it on both of our podcasts. So yeah, this is primarily an interview that Ruth is interviewing me, but really the spirit of it was a conversation. I think there's so much great stuff that Ruth offers here that I uh, just thought I'd share these next several episodes with you as we wrap up this uh, season of MLA. So hope you enjoy. Well, friends, welcome back. And we are here for our podcast season on managing leadership anxiety, yours and theirs with our friend Steve Cuss. Let's recap where we've been because we're talking about systems theory and anxiety as being sort of a central component of understanding systems theory and how we can lead and, you know, manage our own anxieties and other people's anxieties as part of our leadership. So, Steve, go ahead and give us a recap from the previous three episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? So it we has. started with a simple idea that if we can pause and pay attention to what's going on in us and what's going on between us and others and between other people, not just between, like, say, me and you, Ruth, but if I walk into a room, what's going on in that room... So what we're doing is we're saying this thing, systems theory, is the simple idea that anxiety spreads. It spreads in me. It spreads in groups. But if we're aware of it, and then we have a few tools, we can flip the power dynamic and we can spread calm presence instead of anxiety. That's like the, the big idea. And we've talked about a lot of techniques, but the bottom line is what we're doing is we're noticing and then we're naming and then we're diffusing. That's like the three-step process. So we notice when we're anxious or when anxiety is coming at us. We name what's generating it. We did a whole episode, for example, on childhood and family of origin. That's a lot of naming goes on there. And then we move into diffusing, which of course the Transforming Center, a lot of the work that you guys do is that paying attention to the soul, the Ignatian prayer practices. These are ways to diffuse because chronic anxiety competes for, for God's awareness, for our awareness of God. So when we're anxious, we, it's hard for us to be aware of God. I just say, finally, when people are hung up on the word anxiety, it helps to think of the word as reactivity. So the simple question is, what makes me reactive? How do I catch reactivity from other people? And then uh, the deeper question would be, when I get reactive, do I get bigger or smaller? And a lot of our smart listeners will say, well, it depends. Like in some situations, I get bigger and some I get smaller. That's true. But knowing that gives you a tremendous tool, whether you're a parent or a leader. So that's kind of where we've been. And, and I think we're about to take some new ground as we tackle differentiation next. That's right. That's right. And this is an exciting topic because this is what we can do something about, you know, because we can't change everything outside of ourselves. But the one thing we know we can do is take responsibility for ourselves. And in some writings, we call that self-leadership. And in fact, I've heard that uh, self-leadership is the most challenging aspect of leadership, that you might think leading this, you know, 
sort of difficult congregation is the hardest leadership task, but no, the hardest leadership task is to lead oneself. And differentiation is the way that systems theory talks about how to take responsibility for oneself. So I want to just read a little passage, Steve, from your book on this topic. It's a very sobering statement that the higher up in an organization a leader is, the more power that leader has to create health. That's the good news. Bad yep. news is that the converse is also true. If yes. the top leader is chronically unhealthy, the whole system suffers. Lord have mercy. We don't want that to be our situation. And so system leadership is a developed skill where the leader pays attention, as much attention to the system dynamic as she does to the conversation and also is able to pay attention to him or herself and the impact that him or herself has on the system. So the leader pays attention to the system, can break through stuckness and help other people get free. And one of the main ways we do that is by taking responsibility for ourselves and the way we transmit anxiety or not, or whether we're able to diffuse it. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit, first of all, about what differentiation is. It's a great word, but define it for us. Oh, that's great. And Yes, differentiation is considered the foundational concept in systems theory. Mm-hmm. And and yet, um, I'll also ask you to define it too, Ruth, because what I find is um, it's very difficult to understand what it actually is. So several of us have different definitions mm-hmm. of it. My definition is actually a five-step process. But, but in short, before we get to the five steps, differentiation is simply keeping your reactivity from spilling out into others while keeping from catching theirs. The beauty of differentiation is you don't need the other person to be calm. You can actually be calm with an anxious person. So they're coming at you all hot and hostile. Um, So it's noticing when you're getting flooded with reactivity. And then it's noticing when you're catching someone else's reactivity, it's managing both of those. While staying emotionally connected to that person, And what that looks like is you're not demonizing them. You're not lionizing them. You're seeing them as a human being, dignity made in the image of God, while at the same time being connected to your vision and values of who you are, what's God called you on this earth to do. And then the final step is being connected to reality. Mm. Oftentimes when I'm doing workshops, I'll have people, I'll ask them, where have you seen differentiation on the screen? And someone called out uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And as soon as I heard it, it really rubbed me wrong. Mm. Uh, I'm like, that's not differentiation. I was, trying, I was trying to think, what's the problem? Why isn't it differentiation? Well, first of all, it's because he crashed a Ferrari. And you just can't be, like, I'm a lover of vintage Ferraris, Ruth. Mm. I came from a motor racing family, and I'll never be able to own one, but I can still mm. enjoy them. And I don't believe you can be differentiated while crashing a vintage Ferrari. Mm-hmm. But actually what's going on is Ferris Bueller was not in touch with reality. And we all know people who say they're differentiated, but they're still doing tremendous damage in the system. So I think that final step of connecting to the source of reality, which is Jesus Christ, and making sure that my vision and values are lined up with what God wants me to do. So here's a, uh, sometimes it's helpful to say, well, here's what it looks like. And so in my life as a pastor, I, I grew up unchurched. None of my family except my sister and I are, are church people. And one of the things I think God has put me on this earth to do is to help proclaim the gospel to intellectual skeptics. I was raised in that kind of family. I'm very comfortable in that kind of skeptical, almost hostile space. And here I am in Denver, Colorado, where there's plenty of intellectual skeptics. God's very good to me. There's lots of them around. But, but 
in my church, most of the people I hear from are Christians. And they're not bad people. Again, system theory doesn't blame. But I'm a people pleaser. And if I'm not careful, I will hear from a long-term Christian who maybe wants to hear more Greek exegesis in Romans in my sermons. That's their anxiety coming at me. I will catch it. I will then be reactive by changing my mission, my vision and values and chasing these people rather than my mission. So that's what it looks like to not be differentiated. And of course, there's a couple of extremes. I'll, I'll get into enmeshment and detachment. But before I do, Ruth, I mean, you've done a lot of study in this area. How, when people ask you what differentiation is, how do you define it? I always think of it as, you know, the ability to maintain my, my sense of self as a separate individual while staying connected. So emotional cutoff and estrangement and avoidance, you know, out of reaction to somebody else is not differentiation. Differentiation is the ability to remain a self and a clearly defined self while staying connected. Uh, maybe another way to talk about it is I know where I end and you begin versus, yes. you know, glomming together and not being able to stay separate uh, while being connected. And, it, and, you know, it's almost paradoxical to, you know, when you say it that way, there's almost a paradox in there. How do I remain a separate individual while staying connected versus, you know, some of those other things? So I don't, I, you know, that's, that would be my simplest way of talking yeah. about differentiation or, you know, in the places where I learned about family systems, we also called it, you know, the ability to say, here I stand, to take a here I stand position and I can do no other. You know, here I stand and I can do no other. That is yeah. a very differentiated statement. Yeah. And for some personalities, that's easier than others, I suppose. But it's a, it's a real challenge. And we're talking, you know, we're talking about leadership, particularly. Um, it's either Rich Velotis. I think I first heard it from Rich. It might be Pete Scazzaro. They, they use the story of uh, Saul and David and Goliath, the moment when Saul tells David to put Saul's armor on. And this is a fantastic leadership lesson. David is a different kind of guy than Saul is. And so that's a good example of differentiation because David is at that time emotionally connected to Saul. Saul says, I want you to wear my armor. David tries it on. So he doesn't detach or cut off is the word you use, Ruth. He says, okay, sure, I'll try it on. He's very calm, tries on the armor. It doesn't fit. It's not going to work for David. It's not who he is. It's not how he operates in this world. He takes it off and he differentiates. He says, Saul, mm -hmm. I have to do this my way. What fits me? That's the other gift of differentiation is it actually leads you into being more you than you thought you could be. I think most Christian leaders wish we were someone else. We really do think, oh, if I was more like Ruth and if I was more like this person, I'd be a better leader. Differentiation is a great tool to say, listen, take it or leave it. Here's how God's wired me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but this is the way... I am, and I have to show up this way. I think the key piece is connecting your vision and values to God's presence. Otherwise, I think we all become differentiated narcissists. Absolutely. Um, and I was just thinking of that, Frank Sinatra, I do it my way, when right. you were saying, you know, that there's, there is a fine line there, right? Right. Well, and, and particularly, I've got to say, as an Aussie, particularly in American culture, the John mm -hmm. Wayne, the, the Sinatra, none of that's differentiation because no one's with them. Yeah. I did it my way and no one's with me. That's not differentiation. That's right. just loneliness. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So and um, dysfunction, you, really, because no other human being could stand to be, really live with you. <laughs> well, and I mean Sinatra. Let's face it, who yeah, that'd be a tough guy to live with for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's so interesting about this is that different. You know, I said it already, but I think it bears repeating, and that is that. Sometimes people who are, you know, kind of radically independent and they leave home and they leave their family and they, you know, they don't have any capacity for care and concern anymore. And they call that differentiation. But actually, right. sometimes it's highly reactive because yeah. they couldn't figure out how to be a self and stay connected. And so they yes. just cut off. That's and exactly that is not right. differentiation. You know, they, they think they're aloof. They're actually anxious. They that's think right. that they're above And it's the it way all. they're managing their anxiety is yes, by... Yeah, avoiding yes. and backing away and cutting off emotionally. So it, as much as this one is a, the key component, it's also really nuanced. It is. I think you know, the idea of differentiation is really nuanced. And I, I find it helpful to, to try to figure out, okay, well, which, which extreme do I tend towards? So, so the one we're describing now is, is what I call detachment. There's lots of different words for it. Cut off mm-hmm. is a great word too. And that is that person that thinks that they're above it all or they say, well, I'm just this way and... Or they're alone, no one's following them. And then you swing through differentiation wildly to the other extreme, which is enmeshment. Yeah. That's the world I, I live in. My, the besetting sin of my leadership is enmeshment and overfunctioning, getting into other people's business, merging. I, I end up in someone else's brain all the time. And, and then the, what happens with enmeshed people like me is we enmesh and enmesh, and then we get exhausted. And to defend ourselves, we then swing to detachment and cut off. We either go into self-pity, which is what I do, like, oh, man, no one knows how hard my life is. Look at all these people I'm caring about and no one cares about me. Or anger, uh, anger fantasies. And so I've noticed that in my own life. But probably just it might help our listeners, Ruth. Are you prone to one extreme more than the other? I can see both in my life at different times, actually. That what you describe about the exhaustion Yes. You know, I can see myself just dreaming about, you know, slipping away and never being seen again, you know, because I'm so exhausted at that level. But then, you know, I can also be in my personality. I can emotionally not be able to tell where I end and where other people begin, like their emotion becomes my emotion. And I can't even tell what my own emotion is anymore because their emotion is so intense and their emotion is now, you know, inside me and I can't. I can't differentiate from it. I don't know. I literally don't know what I'm feeling because I'm feeling so strongly what somebody else is feeling, you know, and I know that that's, that is not healthy when that's, when that's what's happening. When I can't do that, here I stand. This is what I think. This is what I feel and not get carried away. So for different reasons, I can do either one. It's an equal opportunity situation for me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's tricky in the church because we, we use empathy language a lot. That's right. And hey, I, I just got to say, there's a whole stream that's currently saying empathy is a sin. I'm not talking about that, what I think is nonsense there. But I do think it's hard for us in the church to tell the difference between empathy and enmeshment. When is it yes. that I'm actually caring about someone and when am I wrapped up in them? I found it helpful to think it through the lens of how often am I carrying a burden and how often am I walking alongside someone? Yeah. And when I look at the life of Jesus, he actually walked alongside way more than he carried burdens. But I think in the church, we use burden-carrying language disproportionately. Yeah. And I, I think what happens is we enmesh believing we're fulfilling the great command of Jesus. And I, I don't think, I think we're missing the mark there. Mm-hmm. 
Another, you know, another place in scripture that I think shows differentiation really well, in, in addition to Jesus, is Moses in the wilderness when the people are complaining about the food. And Moses, it's a project, they're projecting onto him responsibilities that aren't his. They're trying to make him fix something that's not his to fix. And it's, it's, he doesn't use the language, but he does, he does this differentiation. He says, Hey, that's my job. That's not my job, excuse me. That's not my job. If you're not happy with the food, take that up with God, because God is in charge of the food on this journey. He does not accept <laughs> their projection. He does not take it into himself. You know, I would have probably gotten about trying to fix it. Oh, you don't like yeah. the food? Let's see. Let's. We have this, and we have that, and we have that, don't you know? But, yeah. you know, Moses says, stop it. Yeah. This is not my job. It's not my job to make sure you like the food. You know, that's that's God's department, actually. And I'm not going to take that on. <laughs> and as I'm listening to you tell that story, I'm actually visually picturing a triangle between God, mm-hmm. Moses and the people. And yeah. one of the great ways to differentiate is when you recognize I'm in the way. There's a right. direct relationship that I'm in the middle of. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to. And so what Moses did is detriangulate. He did. Um, he sent them back into their own relationship with God to work it yeah. out in their relationship yeah. with God, which is just fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and w- when I was a younger pastor, I, I was so concerned with what people thought. I wanted to know what everybody thought. And I would mm-hmm. chase people around when I heard that they had a grumbling of some kind. And that was just pure enmeshment. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was me catching the anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an, we've, we have a recent movie about differentiation that we could talk about, something a little bit more contemporary than Ferris Bueller. I think the I mean, when I saw the movie Coda that ended up winning Best Picture, I'm like, that whole thing is about differentiation. This okay. girl who had been the one person who could hear in her family, and she had served her family in a very enmeshed way. They couldn't do anything without her. They couldn't do anything without her. They couldn't fish. They couldn't selfish. They couldn't participate in city meetings. They couldn't do anything without her, but she has a different dream. And so, I mean, I, that's what I see in the movie Coda is that it was her journey towards differentiation. And what's so beautiful at the end is that I think there was, when, when she starts to really get in touch with who she is, that she is a vocalist, she is a singer. So not only does she know who she is, but her family can't hear her because they're all deaf. So the thing that she can do is the thing they can't really hear and appreciate, although they find a way towards the end. But, you know, it's there's a lot, there's some fighting and tussling and things like that, but eventually they're all able to come around to blessing her as she takes her journey, her next steps on her journey, but while staying connected. So she mm. is very much in this in this place of knowing who she is, what her dream is, what her gifts are, what her talents are, what her path is. And she's going to take the path, but she's able to stay connected with her loved ones while she does it versus oh. having to just blow them off. That's really good because I've never seen Coda. Now, now I want to mm-hmm. see it. Um, but it, it, I'm listening to what you're saying, Ruth, and a lot of what you do in systems theory, you know, you're paying attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm often listening to you and trying to get in touch with what's going on in me as I hear mm-hmm. you. And yeah, a couple of things that, that I'm compelled to say is, is I think in Western culture, we're always going to nudge differentiation toward individualism. Absolutely. Yes, and, absolutely. But, but diff- true differentiation, everybody mm-hmm. gets better. If, if the leader differentiates, everybody is not healed as a strong, too strong a way to say it, but everybody grows or improves. It's not about the leader saying, here's how I am, take it or leave it. 
it, that, that emotional connection is such a key piece of differentiation is I'm going to define myself in relationship with you, not against you. That's right. And I'm doing it to invite you toward me, not push you away. So what you described about Coda is beautiful is you, you said she had the one thing that they couldn't participate in, but they found a way. Mm-hmm. And, and I that's, think a, that's key, a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a key piece is so mm-hmm. often... Like, for example, my need to take care of people is more about my need to be needed than their needs. And so differentiation for me is is often about recognizing if I work on myself, that person will also get better because being chronically needy is not helpful. The, the, The thing I want to explore with you, Ruth, is resistance. In the movie Cody, you kind of describe the family. What's going on is they're in a stuck Pattern Very stuck, yes. That works for everybody except her. It's working mm-hmm. beautifully for everyone else, but she's the one bearing the anxiety in the system. This, this actually brings up a really fascinating systems theory idea is that what, what systems theorists do is they see what's going on and they look for what's called the identified patient. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they say, okay, here's a family and this girl is depressed she might be depressed because of what's going on on her, but she might be depressed because of the way the family is acting. So it sounds like Coda, so the singer is, in, is the identified patient. But what's interesting is, is her being so-called sick is benefiting the rest of the family. So the day that she differentiates, they're probably resisting. They're facing resistance. I don't know if we want to get into that now or another time, but that's a key piece of differentiation. When you define yourself and stay connected, you're going to face resistance. Right. And in, this, in, in the language of some of the, the, the theory, it's the ch- don't change, change back, you know, yeah. um, is that yeah. the system is going to say, don't change. You try to change and they say change back. And it's because it serves them in some way to have you in the system in that way. And I think that's one of the most, there's the two things that are just really amazing about the movie is that the first step that she takes to differentiate and to go to a music school when she has to audition, that's when she finds a way. The dad really wants to hear her song, but he's deaf and he can't hear her. And so she finds a way to include them. So while she's auditioning, she signs with them. They're up in the balcony and her actual singing becomes better because she's signing and then they connect and they're so pleased to connect with her. But the the best, best thing is that um, by her staying in her family, other people's growth has become stunted. So when she leaves and goes off to college, her brother, who is also deaf, emerges as a leader in the family business. And then her mother becomes a leader in the in the community. The whole family is healthier once she leaves because then they all step up to do what they were always capable of doing but didn't do because she was always there signing for them and always in the middle of every interaction. So it's the it's the perfect picture of what we're talking about today. It really, really is. Yeah, it makes me want to cut this episode short. Yes, yeah, so and I just go, go watch a movie. Sure. <laughs> you yeah, got your movie amazing. choice for tonight. Yeah. And that's why oftentimes we assign homework, like watching it on the screen before you try it yourself, because it's really hard to do in real time. Right. But when you see it happen, there's something about it that's so right that you say, wow, whatever I need to do in my life to do that, I'm going to do it because everything becomes healthy and you can see it and you can feel it. It it, it, elevates everyone. And once again, I, I think we are at the intersection of our work here because... I don't think you can do the kind of soul work that 
Transforming Center does without understanding differentiation. Uh, what's screaming in my head right now is Jesus saying to the invalid of 38 years, mm-hmm. Jesus saying, do you want to be well? And, you know, you can be snarky. When you look at that story, Jesus asking an invalid, do you want to be well? And you could say, well, you know, it's crossed my mind. But mm-hmm. it's a profound spiritual question of yeah. do you want to actually have a different kind of life or do you want to stay stuck in the anxious patterns you're in? And I think differentiation is a tool to help you figure out, like what would be interesting in CODA is to look at maybe the dad or the brother's point of view and the moment that they had to grapple with their complicity in the problem and then step into growth. That's, that's a piece of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it is all that. I'm also thinking of the place in Jesus' life where uh, his disciples never did really understand the kingdom that he was coming to set up or how it was going to take place. So they were always pushing him to do something differently yeah. and at a different time than what he was planning. Yeah. Me too, by then, the way. I, I had that hobby. I had yes. that hobby that the disciples mm-hmm. had. Yeah, and then there's this point where some group of them wants him to establish his kingdom you know, right now. And Jesus just says, my time has not yet come. And he just melts through the crowd. You know, he absolutely knows and is always in touch with not only the what, but the timing. And he just doesn't let himself get pushed. But then also, rather than creating a hullabaloo, he just quietly, he does it very quietly and just melts through the crowd. And sometimes we do have to create a hullabaloo, I guess, but in that, not always. We can, we can take that differentiated position. Here I stand, I can do no other. But we can do it quietly and with dignity, and yeah. we don't have to bring anxious presence even to that or a combative presence. We can do it with calm presence. And sometimes that is actually the marker that someone is differentiated, is that they're able to take the here I stand position, but do it without that, you know, the emotional anxiety and drama. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and, and secular systems theorists point to Jesus of Nazareth as the most differentiated human. Mm-hmm. They just they scratch their head on why. You know, how is it that he got so differentiated? One helpful framework, Ruth, we might kick around is, is because differentiation is, is so conceptual, I found it helpful to explain it through the lens of what's called four spaces. Mm-hmm. So I might just throw that out and see yeah, if I this do. is helpful to us. Because if, if you think about anxiety, okay, you're going to walk into a room and, okay, I've been listening to Ruth and Steve, I want to practice this. I think a simple thing to do is say, okay, there's four spaces where anxiety lives and spreads. And of course, that means that God's presence lives and spreads there too. And I can actually look at the room through four spaces. So the first space is the one we've been spending all our episodes on. It's the space inside me. That's always the space we begin. We always do 80% of our work on first space. What's going on in me? That's first space. Second space is what's going on between me and the other. In this case, while you and I are on the podcast, you and I are in first and second space. Uh, You're figuring out what's going on in you and what's going on between Mm -hmm. us and vice versa. Third space is what's going on inside the other person. And that would be, as we were kicking around enmeshment or codependency, that would be, as I'm talking, if I'm spending too much of my energy thinking to myself, I wonder what Ruth is thinking right now. I wonder, is this going the way she wants? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at her face. I bet she's not happy. And I'm putting all of this work into imagining and assuming mm-hmm. what's going on in you. That's third space. And then fourth space is what's going on between others before I yes. showed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just say as, as a tall white man, this was profound for me to realize, oh, wait, when I walk into a room, I change that room. 
but I didn't know I changed the room because I've only ever been in there. Like I just, I'm happy to show up in every room. But learning, and I learned this as a chaplain, how do you notice when there's holy ground going on? So like a lot of the work I did was helping people take their last breaths. Like I helped a num- dozens and dozens of people die. Now that is really holy ground. And if I'm not aware of first space, what's going on in me, I will stomp all over that fourth space between the dying person and their loved ones. So what our listeners can do is they can start looking at staff meetings, family, through these four spaces. And the the number one rule is, as we've been saying, you take responsibility for first space. And then the number two rule is you, you learn to stop third space. It's the only space you cannot change. Like, Ruth, what you think is none of my business until you want to tell me. You, you were mentioning in the previous episode this powerful idea between privacy and secrecy. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, if I'm trying to figure out what you're thinking, that's causing anxiety in me. It's based on assumption and it's futile. And, and Jesus navigated the four spaces with great intention. Um, this is a book I'll be working on next year. Is I'm actually going to dissect the Gospels through the four spaces and show how Jesus operated in each of the spaces, because it's profound when you see him doing it. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Are the four spaces, or is there one that you're particularly normally attuned to and one that you're not as attuned to just naturally in your own life? Well, I first of all, just thank you for the spaces. I mean, it's the first time I've heard that as you sharing it. And so I, I find that tremendously helpful, just even diagnostically in any yeah. moment. What is the space that I'm navigating right now? Yeah. You know, and where's um, and the anxiety what is my coming res- from? Yes. And what's my responsibility and what can I impact and what can't and what is not mine to impact? And for a leader, I think so I'm a relate I'm a highly relational person I'm a heart person relationships really matter that could be some gender gender stereotyping going on there but those things are very very true about me and I'm yeah. intuitive so I'm always feeling other people yes so the challenge that one of the biggest challenges for me will be to number one if I do feel something going on in the room or something going on in another person to discern what is mine to try to work with and what is mine to leave alone I mean, to me, that's always a big question, both as a leader, you know, because as a leader, you're wired to want to fix things. And if you're a leader, you think, well, maybe that's mine to do. And maybe if I did something, I could make a difference. And I want this group to be a better group, or I want that person to feel better. or I want this process to go better. And so being a leader is going to make you want to get in there and muck around with stuff that maybe is not yours to muck around with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the tendency or the temptation, like you just articulated, if I feel something going on in another person to, to be way more involved than I should and to try to take responsibility when really that's their responsibility to navigate and to manage whatever's going on inside them. And if they want to tell me about it and they want to work on it with me, they can offer it up. But I, I shouldn't, I'm not necessarily supposed to be the one (laughs) trying to get in there and fix stuff, you know? We haven't really dug into this yet, but my theology of anxiety is it shows up anytime we are trying to do God's job for God. That would Mm -hmm. be like what you just named. Yeah. When, when God has a job and we're trying to do it for God, like that person's anxious, I must anxiously relieve them of their anxiety. We've crossed into, like you said, it's not mine to carry. Well, and you know, you just, you mentioned the overcompensating. There's also the overcompensating under, you know, the overfunctioning, underfunctioning reciprocity. Right. So, you know, I am an overfunctioner, right. uh, you know, like 
completely. So the temptation in my life is to always overfunction in every single way versus letting. So not only are you robbing God of God's job, but sometimes you're robbing people of their own relationship with God where they need to really wrestle it down to the mat with God. Like Moses was saying to the people, hey, I'm not going to overfunction here and try to fix the, the situation with the food. Right. You have got to take some responsibility about taking this to God and wrestling with it with God um, versus me getting in there in a, pl- in a space where I don't belong. It's also pretty stunning when you look at the lens of, if you, if you go through the Gospels and say, okay, how many times was somebody sick and Jesus yeah. stepped over them and didn't heal them? Mm-hmm. The percentages are not great. Like we all, we're all wanting another miracle from God. We want God to heal. I, I believe God heals unequivocally. He just doesn't heal as much as we want God to heal. Mm-hmm. But I think we have this false notion that Jesus took away everybody's problems when he walked the earth. But more often than not, like there's more than, there's a number of occasions where Jesus actually said to the disciples, let's get away from this crowd with all of their needs and let's let the crowd mm-hmm. down and let's go and be alone. So so that's another, I mean, Jesus modeled that. The, the road to Emmaus story is a story of highly anxious people. What's interesting with Cleopas and his companion on the road to Emmaus is they're anxious about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when someone's anxious about me, I'm so anxious to relieve them of it because I don't like feeling misunderstood or, or projected upon. You're mentioning the, the clergy with a collar earlier. Jesus seemed very comfortable letting them be anxious and he just yeah. walked alongside them and they're very differentiated in that situation. And so Absolutely. therefore they had a richer encounter with God than if he had mm-hmm. shortcutted. So, Steve, as we wrap up this session on differentiation, which is so significant in our leadership, could you give us a couple really practical, concrete practices or activities we could engage in to help us here in the next week? Yeah, it's a really helpful question because this is such a giant differentiation, such a giant. So I think two simple things you can do. Actually, three simple things. The first one is these four spaces. You can simply go into any group and notice where the anxiety is coming from and how you're being impacted by it. So you're the first space, and then you can go back and rewind and remember the other spaces. But just going into groups and noticing the spaces and where anxiety is. Then differentiation, for those who are prone to enmeshment, you can simply make uh, three columns in your prayer journal, mine, theirs, and God's. Three columns, and it's the simple question, what is mine to carry? What's theirs to carry? What's God's to carry? Ruth's story about Moses was a great example of that. And then for those who struggle with detachment, that you tend to be aloof, then what you're paying attention to is your listening posture. Differentiation is when you're listening to learn, but anytime you have moved off listening to learn, listening to fix, listening to defend, sometimes when you're really anxious, listening to hijack, then you know, okay, I'm detached. And so moving back with listening to learn. So those would be probably three tools that we could kind of wrap this, um, this, this topic up with. That is so good, Steve. And I find myself, again, wanting to offer us all up to the Lord, those of us who are on this journey, really seeking to be the leaders that God created us to be by incorporating these truths. I just pray that God would help us to either know what's mine, what's theirs, and what's God's, or if we are of the other pattern, to be very determined to listen to learn rather than some of the other lesser purposes for which we listen. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our our prayer. prayer. Amen. Friends, if you're listening to this in May or June or any time around there in 2022 or afterwards, then the Calm Aware Present Journal is available for pre-order. We're placing orders in May and then in June. You can go to www.stevecusswords.com. And depending on when you click on it, that'll either link you to the Kickstarter campaign for pre-orders or if you're a little after that, it'll link you to the Capable Life page where you can place your order. We'll be delivering journals in August. As we've been saying over and over, everybody needs an intentional proven path. And the Karma Aware Present Journal is a 12-week journey, giving you a new tool each week, as well as daily reflection questions, midweek pause, and then an end-of-week reflection to help you lower reactivity and increase connectedness. So if you want to know more, go to www.stevecusswords.com and you can click through to place a pre-order for your Calm Aware Present Journal. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyouralliance.org.